Welcome to episode 158 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, we're at the time of year when hiking and backpacking have unique challenges. And we're up to the challenge. Listen in on our planning session, then find out which hike gets the top vote. Next, a man, a plan, a can, a canjo. Believe it or not, we've found another trail-worthy instrument that can help you while away the dark winter nights and the dark winter days. And we'll share a backpackable recipe that will probably push you over your pumpkin pie spice threshold. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. I have been looking forward to this episode for so long because Josh and I came prepared with some ideas for hikes that we want to do, and we're going to let all of our first 40 milers listen in. So the homework that Josh and I both got was to come to the table today with three to four solid ideas for a winter day hike with our family. What if I came with eight ideas? What if you came with eight ideas? (laughs) We'll just have to whittle, whittle harder. Wow, you are an overachiever. I love it. Okay, so the goal here is to take a wintertime day hike in the next couple months, right? And over the next few minutes, we're going to try to whittle down the ideas that you brought and I brought to a list of five ideas, and then we'll present it to the kids and see what they say. Yeah, and this is fun because we've been working on our lists for probably three weeks now, and we haven't shared them with each other. So we're really excited to hear what comes out today. Yeah, we don't keep many secrets from each other. But this is, this has been the biggest secret of all. Yeah. It's on your secret hike list. Do you ever get attached to an idea where, uh, like when you're first coming up with the ideas, you have maybe multiple options and you think, yeah, that these are all, I, I could do any of these. I don't care which. I'll let the family decide and and I'll be happy no matter which one they decide. And then for some reason, after a while, you start researching or, or settling your mind Obsessing. on one of those. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you start to think, oh, I hope the family chooses this one. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. I have one that is my secret pet favorite one. Ah. I mean, no matter what we choose as our final choice, it's not going to be the last hike we ever go on. So I think I still will be able to get this one hike in that I really want, no matter what. Cool. Okay. Who goes first? Hmm. Well, you have the most ideas. Let me check my paper here. I have five ideas. So why don't you start with yours and I will get mine ready. Here we go. All right. Let me throw out a couple that have been on our list for a while and we just haven't done them yet. And they would work as low elevation winter hikes. One of them is Opal Creek. That's in Oregon, a couple hours away from home. The other one is Susan Creek. It's in southwest Washington, also a couple hours away. Susan Creek would be eight and a half miles round trip, and the elevation is around 1,500 feet. Opal Creek is six and a half miles round trip, elevation about 1,400 feet. So I thought those are probably both doable. 
uh, unless we get a really cold, low snowstorm that comes in. Okay, so Opal Creek, Susan Creek, uh, Saddle Mountain. Remember last year, one of our listeners invited us to do Saddle Mountain with him. That's right. Like on New Year's. Yeah, it was one of his traditions. Like he did it New Year's Eve. Oh, he did it New Year's Day 2016. And he was going to do it again New Year's Eve 2016. Yeah. Right before 2017 to be the first and last to hike Saddle Mountain. That's so great. uh, In the year. And the forecast changed and, you know, snow, wind, rain, all of that. Uh, We didn't really have the gear for it. We had to back out. So that's, that's on my list too. And another one I thought could be kind of interesting to redo is that hike that we took with our family the week of Thanksgiving 2014. That first hike, we've talked about it on more than one episode, how we got rained out, how one of our kids said it was the worst (laughs) trip he's ever gone on, and he hopes it's the last. Luckily, he's had better trips, and now he likes backpacking. (laughs) But it was a rough start, and I thought, well, maybe that would be interesting to do that little section of trail again just as a day hike. But I thought of that also because of the Eagle Creek fire. Uh, That's right across the river from all the area around Eagle Creek that burned uh, near Cascade Locks, Oregon. So we would be on the Washington side where it didn't burn, but it might be very interesting to be able to look back across the Columbia River and just see what sort of impact the fire had. Which, by the way, I just figured that when the rainstorms came through in October that the Eagle Creek fire would die. And then when I checked in late October, they said it was still burning and had an estimated dead date, or whatever they call it, of, what was it, November 30th? Yeah, it was going to be the end of November. Yeah, crazy, huh? It started in the beginning of September. Yeah, we've had some really good uh, rainstorms. So, yeah, I assumed the rain would put it out, but... Me too. Wow. Anyway, I'm also throwing a a couple of uh, really close-to-home, really low-elevation hikes on the list, because if the weather gets bad, we know we can do these. We have our family backpacking spot, only a half hour from home, only a mile in, a mile out, so it's only two miles. But I know anytime we get out, we have a good time, and we we bond together as a family, and it doesn't really matter, even if it was super rainy or cold or or whatever, we still have a good time. And uh, there's also a a wildlife refuge uh, down by Salem. It's called Basket Slough National Wildlife Refuge. That's one that would be really low elevation, probably 100 feet above sea level or something. And uh, we could just, you know, head out and check out the birds that might be wintering there. Okay. And I have one that I think would be pretty cool that I saved for last. I want to hear it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This one's up by Mount St. Helens. On the south side of Mount St. Helens... Uh, you can visit the ape caves. Oh. So my my genius thought about this was, hey, it's winter time. Well, it's always the same temperature inside the ape caves, no matter what time of year it is, uh, which, by the way, is cold. It's like in the 40s, I think. And it's the same amount of wetness in there, right? I mean, it's you're inside. I wouldn't say that it's dry. You've probably got water dripping all around. Uh, but if there's a big rainstorm outside, it's still, you know, in other words, the cave is just about the same no matter what time of year. So it doesn't matter that it's winter time. It could be a, a cool hike. And it's a little under three miles round trip to head up into the cave and then back, back down. Uh, elevation, 2,500 feet. But as long as we can get there, then we're underground. So it doesn't matter, right? Exactly. Okay, so that's my... My cool one. Oh, awesome. But I really, I would love 
just getting out. Any of these would, would fill my bucket. Well, they all sound amazing. I'm trying to stay very neutral, though. And mine are a little bit different in that mine aren't really locations. Mine are experiences. So we could definitely combine yours with mine by doing the thing that I want to do while we're on the hike that you picked locations for. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. I didn't I didn't pick any locations. So my first idea for a hike is to do a family 15 miler. So it doesn't matter where we go, but the whole point of the hike is to push the miles. So see if we can do 15 miles in one hike, which is the most that we would have ever done. I think the most that we've done as a family is 5 5 miles in a day. Uh, right, backpacking. Right. But day hiking, I'm sure we could cover a little more ground. We definitely could. And I think it would be a really cool family accomplishment. My next idea is something that we keep talking about and we've had some success with. And that is doing Thanksgiving on the trail. We could do any of your location hikes, but we bring you know, our backpacker oven, our stoves, all the ingredients to do a simple backpacker's Thanksgiving. Yeah. And since it's a day hike, we don't care too much about the weight of all that food, right? We can bring fresh cranberries. Oh, yeah. Um, we can bring turkey. We, yeah. Maybe or not a whole turkey. A little <laughs> tiny bird. Right. Right. Um, it's got to fit inside the backpacker oven. Yeah. We could roast squash or yams on the fire and let those go for a few hours. That could be really fun and just bring some really unique flavors and experiences to Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, another idea that I had was to do an Oregon historical hike. Uh, a few weeks ago, you were talking about that old railway, you know, the old... Uh, the old one that shut down in 2007? Yeah, the one that is no trespassing. <laughs> yeah. If we could find something similar to that or a hike that takes us through some kind of historically significant place, that would be really cool. Okay, then the last two... These are the ones I'm super excited about. Do you realize that we have a fourth grader? Yeah, which means he can get a free National Park Pass. Yes, which means the national parks are open to us. Any park that we want to go to. A lot of them are already free, so they don't really need a pass. But as I started looking through them, I thought, well, maybe while we have a fourth grader, we can take advantage of this. Okay, so that was not my best top idea. I'm saving this for last because it's something we've talked about since our very first hike here in Oregon, and that is to do a mushroom hunting hike. Mm. And you found a friend? I talked to someone at the Oregon Mycological Society. So yes, nice. she is now my friend. <laughs> and she said they do stuff throughout the the late fall. They do stuff year round, but the stuff that goes on in the fall and maybe early winter is really cool. Now, when I talked to her, she said that mushrooms are actually having a really hard time right now because we had such an oppressively hot summer. Yeah, it was Very so dry. dry. So she said things are not as rosy for the mushroom world as they are for the flora and fauna world. <laughs> So we'll see, but this is something our family really would have so much fun with, going on a mushroom hunting hike. Oh yeah, I remember the hike that we took a couple of falls ago. 
and uh, how many different types of mushrooms we saw on that hike. And the kids were just fascinated, taking pictures of every type of mushroom that we found. It seemed like every few feet, you'd stop and see another mushroom that you hadn't seen before. It was just amazing. So that's one that even if we don't get to it this fall during prime mushrooming season, it's something I still want on our family's bucket list. All right, cool. Yeah. Now, I do have one more little um, twist that I want to put on a hike. One of our family goals for this coming year is to invite and connect more. So invite families to do things, connect with other families. So whatever we decide to do, I would like us to also invite another family to come with us. Yeah, great idea. I'd love to do that. And the kids, they love it when we go out with another family. Yeah. And I mean, it could be another family or it could be just, you know, a couple of individuals. doesn't matter right. as long as we're inviting someone to come with us. Cool. So let's, um, let's take these to our kids and uh, give them our sales pitch and see what they say. <laughs> For today's top five list, we have our top five options for a family day hike. This is going to be a full day, super exciting excursion for our family. So we're, we're presenting these ideas to the kids of five epic day hikes. So we have all four of the kids with us here inside our recording closet, I mean studio. <laughs> and we're going to share the ideas that we came up with and let them vote. So mom came up with a bunch of experience ideas. And I came up with a bunch of location ideas, and we merged them together to come up with five trip options that have a particular experience at a particular location. Number one is to do a Thanksgiving meal on the trail at our family backpacking spot. The number two option is a mushroom hunting trip where we go to either Opal Creek or Susan Creek and look for mushrooms. And those would be like seven or eight miles round trip. Number three would be to summit Saddle Mountain in the coast range while we're staying at an Airbnb place out on the coast. Number four would be to use our fourth graders, every kid in a park pass, and go to the ape caves at Mount St. Helens. That's about three miles round trip, most of which is underground. And number five is to put in a 15 miler on the Pacific Crest Trail, starting at the Columbia River and hiking north from there. So we would cover some of the same miles that we covered on that first hike that we took in like uh, Thanksgiving week of 2014, where we got rained out and it was like the worst hike ever. <laughs> this would be a day hike and we'd go up like seven and a half miles, turn around, come back seven and a half miles and maybe look across the river to see if we can see the Eagle Creek burn. Okay, is this where we pause or is this where we leave the room and have them talk about what they want? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want us to leave? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that we should do wait, wait, wait. The, the, the one with the caves because I've never been in a cave and that would be really cool. Since we just had a presentation at school about caves in my class, I know a lot of things about caves now, and it would be really cool. One of the things that I learned about caves is don't break anything. So my choice would be the 15-miler that goes from Columbia River to Eagle Creek, because I need to do that for a scouting requirement, and it would be nice to get it done. 
So I was thinking probably not Thanksgiving in our family backpacking spot because um, we're we're already going to Thanksgiving with family, and I don't really like the eating on the trail part. So if we're going to the coast and going to an Airbnb and then hiking Saddle Mountain, um, I've already climbed Saddle Mountain, so uh, that's my only beef against that one. For mushroom hunting, that one really piques my interest because uh, back when I was in 6th or 7th grade a few years ago, I was minorly obsessed with mushrooms for some reason. And so now I have one of those like Smithsonian guidebooks and I have a edible mushrooms in the Northwest handbook. It's a kind of a pamphlet. So yeah, that one's interesting to me. And I think the one that is also really interesting would be going to the ape caves because caves really interest me for some reason. Same with me. I think my top two would probably be the mushrooms and the caves. The only thing I have against the mushrooms is I don't know if I can trust myself to identify them correctly. So I'm a little iffy on that one, but the caves sound really fun. Okay, kids, we're back. Have you decided where we're going? Caves. 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 <laughs> wow. Do you guys know there's We're no apes in the ape caves? Is that okay? There's yeah. no apes. Oh, uh, never mind. Yeah. Let's go on the 15 mile. Let's go to China. Did everyone kind of have a different number two choice? I think most of us decided on uh, mushroom hunting for our number two. Okay. Well, let's get busy planning a trip to the caves then. One of the things that we learned at school from our cave presentation was that each time you go to a different cave, you have to either wash your clothes or change into another pair of clothes. Whoa, why? It's so the bats don't get, like, a disease from other bats. Oh, wow. What else do you know about caves? Don't break anything. Um, yeah, don't break anything. <laughs> like, don't break yourself or don't break the stalags? <laughs> Just don't break, like... Anything. <laughs> <laughs> Don't break any of the rocks. All right. I think he said be really careful. We won't break anything, and we won't uh, <laughs> transfer bat guano from one cave to another cave. It's funny that my little brother is learning uh, similar things to me in science. A couple of weeks ago, we were learning about caves. Um, stalactites are on the top, and stalagmites are on the bottom. Well, this will be good timing for this trip. That's great. Perfect. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing the Kanjo. The Kanjo is exactly what it sounds like. It is a banjo-type instrument that is made from a can. Made with a can, maybe. is a... Made with a can. <laughs> so the Kanjo has a steel string, so it's kind of got that banjo-y type sound. And it only has one string. That's what's so cool about it. Earlier this year, we reviewed the strumstick, and that was in episode 134. The strumstick has three strings, and it's still one of those instruments that you really can't play it wrong. But I would have to say that the kanjo is truly, truly an idiot-proof instrument. You cannot play it wrong, no matter what. All it plays is a melody. And since it's only one string, you don't even really have to tune it. 
The only reason you would need to tune the instrument is if you were playing with another canjo and you wanted to match up and sound the same. Now, this is great because ukuleles, well, uh, let's start with guitars. How many strings? Six strings. Yeah. And I know you know how to play a guitar and you're like, yeah, you just do this. Is that what I sound like when I play the guitar? Really? No, no. <laughs> so you got a ukulele one year and you're like, this is super easy. Then you got the strum stick and you're like, three strings, only three strings. <laughs> Keeps you, getting better. You can't play it wrong. It's impossible <laughs> to play a combination of notes that don't sound good. Right. Okay, now you come with an instrument that has one string, and I'm finally thinking, you know what, maybe I could actually take an instrument with one string <laughs> and sit down for an hour, and maybe I could figure something out with this thing. You really could. It is really just relaxing to just pick out little melodies. They don't even have to be melodies that anyone has ever heard before. Or you could kind of just think of a song like, um, well, I don't know, it comes with this song sheet. Just one piece of paper and you just kind of play the numbers. The kanjo has numbers up and down the neck so you can know what note to play. Let's see if you can guess what this one is. Clementine. Very good. You are my sunshine. You are my sunshine. Aw. Yeah, so it's just got a really clean, clear sound. And the funny thing about it is that even though it has this really beautiful sound, on one end, it looks like a professional instrument. On the other end, it, it has this soda can. <laughs> so it's really an interesting dichotomy. You know, you're kind of, you're like half proud, half embarrassed. <laughs> it's really just a funny, funny instrument. Yeah, it is funny. It's this empty soda can. You you custom ordered Sprite as your soda can. And then it's attached to this really nicely finished piece of wood. Yeah, and the numbers on there are burned into the wood. So it's really beautiful and it's all smooth and lacquered and has the frets that a guitar does, you know, the, the inlaid frets. And you mentioned that I special ordered Sprite. You can actually order any flavor of soda that they have on their website. They even have spam cans. So you could have a Spam Joe. <laughs> uh, they have soup cans that are tin. So you could have oh. something a little bit sturdier than the the fragile aluminum. Although I've kind of taken this all over and the can is a little bit dinged up, but it still resonates. And you're probably wondering how much the Kanjo weighs. It weighs 10.1 ounces or 287 grams. And that's with the soda can. With the tin can, it weighs a little bit more. As far as size, it's about 27 inches tall or about as long as a possum hide from snout to tail. How did you find that? I made it up. Oh, okay. Now, for maintenance, uh, you just need to play it often. Tuning doesn't really matter because it's one note. And then for investment, the Kanjo costs $24.95 plus $10 shipping. And then they also sell a songbook that has more songs in it than what came with the Kanjo. What came with the Kanjo is just 
nine songs, kind of basic, simple songs that everyone knows, except for Rocky Top. I do not know the song Rocky Top. Rocky Top. Wish that I was on old Rocky Top down in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. Hmm. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top, Tennessee. Cool. I think I've heard the chorus. Like, Rocky Top, you'll always be. Something like that. But yeah, it's a it's an unfamiliar tune to me. I think everything else that comes with the kanjo in that little song sheet is uh, tunes that everyone's heard of, right? Right. Uh, a couple that you played, plus uh, simple ones like Mary Had a Little Lamb, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Those are the ones you learn first on the recorder in third grade. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so maybe that's what I should start with. Exactly. And I think I might be able to succeed at playing Mary Had a Little Lamb on the kanjo. And then what do you think, how hard is it to take a song that you'd like to play on the kanjo and figure out the fingering for it? Oh, that's a good question. Like I said, they have these numbers on the kanjo um, to number each of the frets. But if you want to start, like just play a scale on the kanjo, it actually starts with the number three, which is a little bit counterintuitive because when you number a scale, usually you start with one and it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and that's a diatonic scale. But here you start with three and go up to 10. So I don't okay. know if that really matters to anyone else or if it'll confuse anyone else. Um, so it starts with zero and that's the open string. Okay. And then one, two, three. So three is where the diatonic scale starts. Yeah, that's like your middle C, whatever note it happens to be, but <laughs> depending on how you've tuned it, I guess. But that's the start of your scale. I want to hear the entire song. It's <laughs> <Hey. laughs> a little Christmas tune for you. And I think I forgot to mention the kanjo that we're reviewing today is by Willis Mountain Music, and we will have the link in the show notes. If this is something that you're thinking about ordering for Christmas, all of the kanjos are made to order. So if things get busy around Christmas time for this guy, then you're probably better off ordering sooner than later. There is something just really satisfying about picking out a simple melody. It kind of has that same feel that whistling does. When you're just doing one little melody, you're not complicating it with a lot of other instruments. You're just picking out a melody and maybe you don't feel confident using your voice or whistling, but it's fun to just kind of to kind of pick at something and a beautiful sound comes out no matter what. So that is the Kanjo. For today's backpack hack of the week, Pumpkin Spice Fruit Leather. If you love fall, then by default, you love pumpkin pie, right? This fruit leather will give you all of those autumn flavors along with a pungent kick of citrus. While I was doing recipe testing for our cookbook, I realized that you could put an entire orange into your fruit leather recipe and it gives this really bright, slightly bitter, uh, just 
rich taste to your fruit leather. And then when you add the honey, it kind of mellows out the bitter a little bit. And then you add the bananas and some pumpkin puree and some lime juice. And it creates a really interesting fruit leather. So you'll want to take one can of pumpkin puree, just one of the small cans, 15 ounce I think is what they come in, three bananas, one whole orange, or you could also use a cutie because they're so cute, and then two teaspoons of pumpkin pie spice, which I guess it's time to come clean here. <laughs> I don't actually like pumpkin pie spice that you buy in the jar. I use cinnamon and that's it. That is my pumpkin pie spice. I don't do the nutmeg, mace, ginger, all of that stuff. No. So just whatever you think of as pumpkin pie spice, put that in. Two tablespoons of honey and the juice from one lime, or you can put a splash of lemon juice in just to kind of give it that citrus kick along with the orange. Puree all those ingredients together in a food processor or a high-speed blender and if it's a little bit thick, then you can add some water to kind of aid in blending. Then when the mixture is smooth and lump-free, then spread that mixture on a parchment-lined dehydrator tray. And it should be about two to three millimeters in thickness. See, this is where metric really comes in handy. And smooth it out as much as possible. Then dehydrate it until it's dried, but still pliable and kind of tacky, but you don't want it to be crispy. Don't dry it out too much. So you may need to take some test pieces out while you're drying it. And then when it's done dehydrating, just cut it up into strips and store it in a gallon-sized Ziploc bag. Sounds like a great treat for a Thanksgiving hike. You know, some people do turkey bowl, the football game for Thanksgiving. Yeah, we do Thanksgiving hikes. That's how we do it. And this would be a great one to take. And... Heather has an entire book of trail snack recipes coming out next week. The book is called Trail Grazing. The whole idea behind the book is to provide great recipes that are easy to put together that feed you for all that time between breakfast and dinner on a backpacking trip. All that time while you're hiking and you're not going to be stopping to make a meal, you're snacking as you go. And so there are 40 different recipes in the book that cover that big chunk of the day to provide the energy that you need, the, the calories, the nutrition, etc., and that are really easy to prepare at home. So it's not one of those things where you're thinking, oh boy, you know, I want to go backpacking and I want to bring my own food, but I don't have all day to prepare this food. Well, there's some great recipes in there that don't take a lot of effort to put them together. And I think it says a lot that we were able to make and photograph all 40 recipes for this cookbook within about see, we did it part of the day Friday, Saturday, Monday, and Tuesday. Part of Tuesday, yeah. So within a few days, all 40 recipes. And one of the chapters in the book is for uh, fruit and veggie and yogurt roll-ups, these, these fruit leathers. Pumpkin spice fruit leather actually is kind of a special one that Heather just put together for Thanksgiving. It's seasonal. <laughs> yeah, seasonal. Well, the book has uh, five more fruit leather or other type of uh, roll-up type recipes that aren't even including this one. So this is like a bonus today. And trail grazing is available for pre-order on Amazon and iTunes. Uh, you can go to thefirst40miles.com slash trailgrazingbook 
or just search Amazon or iTunes for trail grazing. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom. I don't know. This is kind of wisdom. This is more like a nerdy McNerderson statistic. <laughs> but it's inspiring. That's why I picked it today. The quotes from the Sporting Goods Manufacturers Association and the USDA Forest Service from their Emerging Markets for Outdoor Recreation publication from 1997. So this is a quote from 20 years ago. I just want you to be amazed when I read it, okay? 20 years ago. Hiking's popularity has increased considerably, up 93% since 1984. Over the same periods, the number of backpackers increased by 73%, from 9 to 15 million, and interest in primitive area-only camping increased 58%, from 17 to 28 million. And we talk a lot about the recent, uh, what seems to be a growth or, or surge in outdoor recreation and backpacking and hiking. But like you said, this is 20 years ago saying that there had been a surge compared to 10 years previous, which makes me wonder, what was it like in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s? If you go back far enough, everybody hiked and everybody backpacked. And it wasn't a recreation pastime. It was their life. It was how they got to the grocery store and yeah. to go visit Aunt Martha. Well, it is getting more and more popular, but it's just kind of funny to think about the fact that it's really us returning to a natural way of life that existed for everyone in the past. Hiking is a return to our roots. It's what we've always been doing throughout human history. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Number three would be to saddle Summit Mountain out in the coast. <laughs> saddle Summit Mountain. <laughs> what is it? My achy, breaky heart. That would be a good mashup. I think, like... <laughs> no, that wouldn't. The, the, my heart. These things, they're, like, my tan. My achy, breaky heart. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving!